Welcome back to the Mothers with Fourth Degree Tears podcast, where you will hear firsthand stories from mothers who experienced fourth degree tears in childbirth and hear from the professionals who work with them. My name is Laura Fry and I'm your host. I am the founder of the Fourth Degree Tear Support Group on Facebook and a patient advocate for women with severe tearing in childbirth. Hi everyone. In this week's episode, we are going to hear from Leanne in Washington State. She is going to give us an update about how she is doing since we had her on episode 5. And she told us then about the birth of her son about six months ago when she had a fourth degree tear and unfortunately did not have a very good repair. Her repair was done by um, an inexperienced doctor. And so unfortunately the repair broke down and she ended up with a rectovaginal fistula. Um, And unfortunately when someone develops a fistula after having a fourth degree tear, Um, They usually cannot have surgery right away. You have to wait um, typically at least three months before you can have surgery. So Leanne had to live with her fistula for almost five months. Um, And whenever we spoke with her on episode five, she was just about a week away from having her repair surgery. Um, So now she has had her surgery and is doing well. And so she just wanted to update us and let us know um, how that surgery went. So if there's anyone who um, has that surgery maybe to look forward to, to give them a little bit of insight of what to expect um, for the surgery itself and for the healing process after. Um, And something else that's really cool with what she's doing is she is already um, at a place where she is starting to do some advocacy work at the hospital where uh, this occurred, where her tear happened. Um, And I just think that's pretty amazing that, you know, only six months later, she's already at a place where she feels like she can do advocacy work because um, unfortunately when someone experiences a traumatic birth, it's usually years later where they feel like they're at a place where they can do something like this because you have your own healing to go through Um, and so she has been doing some counseling and um, it sounds like just the relationship that she has with the people at the hospital there is great Um, so she's able to do some work there so she's going to tell us a bit about that so um, here is Leanne and she's going to go ahead and jump right in with um, how her surgery repair went. So I had my surgery on May 23rd and I'm in Washington state and I went to the university of Washington and I'm just going to say it was Dr. Anna Kirby and she was fantastic because if there's anyone nearby in Washington who is having a fistula issue and needs surgery, she is absolutely fantastic. Um, and so my first podcast, I was about one week out from my, or I was having my surgery in about a week. Um, and so it was an outpatient surgery. I know that some women, um, they stay a night or two, but I was good to go. So we drove over to Seattle in the morning and we got a hotel room and my mom went with me. My husband stayed with our son at home because I felt like that might be a little stressful for everyone if we were trying to take care of a baby and me. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we drove over, got settled into the hotel room. Check-in was at 
1 p.m. And I think my surgery was supposed to be at 3. So we checked in, and we didn't have to wait long in the waiting room. And they took me back, um, and they got me all, you know, changed into a gown, double-checked my birth date, made sure I was who I said <laughs> I was. Um, and I was probably in pre-op for about two and a half hours. I think we didn't start surgery until, like, 4 or 4.30. We were a little bit behind. Mm-hmm. And everyone was super awesome there. And I brought my pump because I had to pump. And mm-hmm. um, I was able to pump right before and pump right after surgery. And they just checked me in. They had to, you know, test your blood sugar. So they did a finger prick. They had to give you uh, – or they gave me – heparin for a blood thinner which is just like a little shot in the stomach which wasn't bad at all Mm -hmm. um they placed my iv and then we basically just hung out we went over you know all the all my medical history um we met with the anesthesiologist we met with the or nurse we met with the other anesthesiologist because they have two on duty at all times Mm -hmm. so there's always two anesthesiologists checking on you um, and then Dr. Kirby came in at the very end, just double checked, see how I was doing, see how I was feeling. Um, and then we went ahead and they gave me some, something to calm my nerves, mm-hmm. which was fantastic. <laughs> and just, I was talking so much at that point. I was just so relaxed and I was trying to tell them like the OR nurse, like all about these hilarious memes I had seen recently. And, um, I think I was probably annoying them because I was trying to joke and <laughs> it wasn't, I was so out of it. I was just not making any sense and saying all these horrible jokes. Um, so I was feeling really great and they wheeled me back into the OR, which of course made me ask a million questions because I mean, you go in and you see the OR and you're like, Oh, what's that for? Mm-hmm. What's this for? And um, they, I was really, really nervous about, um, the anesthesia because I hadn't been I, this is my first surgery mm-hmm. never had surgery before I had my wisdom teeth removed but that was a little different um, and they were so great and it's just they just talked to you and they were kind of trying to joke with me and then I don't I just fell asleep and I was waking up in the recovery room mm-hmm. next thing I know um, it took about I think they said it was supposed to take anywhere from two to three hours I think mine was about four hours um I'm not entirely sure why I didn't ask but everything went great um she said that it went just as she had planned and she was really happy with how it went and so I was in the recovery room and waking up and there was a nurse there um just keeping an eye on me coming out of anesthesia and the first it was very it was really painful like that was the first thing I remember was waking up and just like feeling like my vagina had been you know kind of ripped open all over again yeah um they gave me some pain meds and I think they ended up giving me a little bit too many pain meds because I was feeling okay like I wasn't nauseous or anything but I was still in a lot of pain after they gave me my first pill um and about a half hour later, they gave me another one because I was still in a lot of pain. And that just, it made me really, really sick. Um, I was really nauseous and 
they were watching me. I don't think we got discharged for another like three hours. And so at this point it was like midnight. Hmm. Um, and so my mom went and got the car. I had to try to pee beforehand. Um, they told me that if I couldn't pee like in the morning to come back before we headed home. Um, and so my mom came and got me and they wheeled me out in the wheelchair. I was still feeling really nauseous. Um, we drove to our hotel, which thankfully was like a mile away. It was really close. Um, and I was up, I, you know, got in the car with a pillow. Um, we got to the hotel, I parked and I was able to walk. It was a little painful, but I had to walk in, go up the elevator, walk to our room. Um, and then when we got to our room, I basically just, I just went to sleep. Um, and they gave me some food to take with me, like vanilla pudding and stuff. <laughs> and I woke up probably like 3 a.m. super hungry and ate all this vanilla pudding, which was <laughs> like the best tasting pudding I've ever had. <laughs> um, because I hadn't, um, I had to, I couldn't eat after midnight the night before. Right. So I went, I went almost like 24 hours without eating at that point. Right. Um and we were in Seattle and it was Memorial Day weekend. So we woke up super early at like 6 a.m. Um, I pumped really quick and we got in the car to try to head back over to um, our back home. And we didn't want to hit any of the Memorial Day traffic because I did not want to be sitting in a car mm-hmm. in traffic right after this. Right. Um, I woke up. Was it? I think I woke up at like 3 a.m. They told me I could take ibuprofen at that point, and then I could alternate ibuprofen and Tylenol every like three hours, I think. Yeah. Um, so at that point, I woke up, I took a Tylenol, and I wasn't in a lot of pain, but it was definitely painful, and I didn't want to be taking any more of the opioids they gave me because they made me so sick. Mm-hmm. So we got home. Um I took another ibuprofen when we got home about 9 a.m. And I, I basically just laid in bed all day that first day back. Um, the second day, I m- moved to the couch so I could watch TV and, like, actually be out in the living room. Um, and the, the pain wasn't awesome. Um, it definitely was a little bit worse than after the original tear had happened. And I think that's just because I didn't have a new baby. I didn't have all these like hormones right. going on. And you know, the, was it the, whatever the hormone, hormone is that makes you super happy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's why it hurts so bad. And it didn't last too long. I think probably about a week out. Um, it was pretty manageable like I didn't have to take ibuprofen and Tylenol all the time I could go with just taking an ibuprofen like twice a day and it was just a lot of sitting around not doing a whole lot not picking up anything heavy um, just kind of hanging out and making sure I was taking care of myself and that I was taking all the stool softeners and everything you know seemed to go pretty well and it didn't it wasn't really the the first um bowel movement wasn't as awful as I thought it was going to be 
which was really unfortunate because it was like you know the first bowel movement after birth all over again Mm -hmm. um and I let's see it like week two was a little bit better I was up walking around I actually went to the grocery store by myself (laughs) um just to get out of the house for a little bit that was the first time I got out um and I was a little bit sore, but it wasn't too bad. And then I was out of work for three weeks. So week three, I was starting to kind of walk around a little bit more. I didn't have any pain at all. And then I went back to work three weeks post-op. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't too bad. I have an office job. And I only have a few different programs that I have to go to and be out of the office. Um, so I just brought a pillow to sit on and my ibuprofen. And I was pretty good to go um and I know I was able to sit by that point it wasn't I think the first week I had a really hard time actually sitting um it was just really painful and then by week two I was kind of doing like the one I could sit on one side and then kind of switch to the other side um I wasn't laying down all the time and I had a lot of post-op checkups so we drove back to Seattle a few times um and just to make sure that the stitches weren't getting infected or anything um that things were looking good and I did have let's see it was about two weeks ago um when I pass gas now it rolls forward a lot Mm -hmm. I think it's just the the new anatomy and everything down there right and that did scare me. Um, I didn't know that that's what was happening. And I thought that maybe something had happened in the four weeks since surgery. And so I went back over and um, Dr. Kirby did a blue dye test. Mm-hmm. And um, we put a tampon in and I walked around for 20 minutes and we couldn't find anything. There wasn't any blue dye on the tampon. She didn't see anything. So that was really the only time where I thought something might have been happening right um and then last week I had my six slash seven week post-op and got cleared to work out again and go to pelvic floor therapy and just kind of start getting back into that normal routine normal life and continue to heal so that was that was kind of the surgery experience yeah And it's so, I mean, there's so many of us who experience that, um, that you were describing the forward rolling gas. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. And it just, it's so hard to know where is it coming from? What is normal? What's not normal? Um, yeah. And just so much fear of it being a fistula. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. I know a lot of people, myself included, um, who experienced that and just, it's, um, it's nice to know that they did do that test on you and that you don't have a fistula. So that's good to hear. Yeah. Yeah. It was very reassuring. Yeah. Um, It was definitely, I went home from work. It was like a few days, you know, I had passed gas and I was like, oh my gosh, did that? where did that come from? Mm-hmm. And it didn't happen the next day. And then like a day or two later it happened again at work. And 
I was just like, oh my gosh, I think my surgery has failed. Mm -hmm. And I went home from work early, just in tears. And I had called um, Dr. Kirby's office and they got me in like first thing the next morning to do this. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Um, So yeah, that I was really thankful that she was able to do that. But yeah, and definitely just trying to like, learn your new body basically right yeah yeah and so I guess some of the theories behind why we do feel that even though you know we don't have a fistula is yeah just like our new anatomy maybe our perineums are a little bit shorter and so it just travels forward instead of back and yeah 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 and that's what I think so because I had I guess I probably should have mentioned this. I had a multi-layer repair mm-hmm. and a sphincteroplasty and they, mm-hmm. you know, rebuilt the perineum. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had, I had like no perineum um, going into surgery and I have about four centimeters of perineum now. Nice. I think that's what they said. Yeah. Um, but it's, de- I mean, I've looked down there and it's definitely, I could see why gas rolls forward mm-hmm. um, now. So, yeah. But Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Well, that's good that things are healing uh-huh. well. So you've, um, you said you have been able to return to like working out and things. Yeah. So I, when was this? I, it was Monday. I think that was when my appointment was. Mm-hmm. Um, so I haven't, I haven't worked out yet. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm going to probably start next week. Yeah. Um, and then you can start going to physical therapy again, but just kind of ease back into it maybe like start with some long walks and then move into running or I I go to jazzercise because nice my mom does so we go do that so hopefully I'll be able to start going back to that (laughs) that is awesome (laughs) so it's a blast yes yeah yeah so awesome so tell me about what's been going on with the hospital so the hospital where I gave birth, um, I work in with health in our community, and I know a lot of physicians, and I work really close with some physicians, and I haven't really been, I hadn't been back to the hospital um, to talk to anyone for a really long time about what happened, and I had planned on doing it, but it just took a really long time to kind of feel okay with what had happened mm-hmm. and I'm still really angry about it all, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, a little less angry now that I can actually go have a conversation with them without <laughs> making a fool out of myself. <laughs> right. Um, and so one of these, uh, doctors that I know, they were talking to me about what had happened and they had informed me that, um, protocol wasn't followed with my birth. Mm. And so what happened was when I gave birth and I got this fourth degree tear, my physician was, he was newer to the community and we had lost one of the really, really great OBs who I had been seeing. And Mm -hmm. her last day in clinic was the day before I went into labor. So Mm -hmm. I ended up with the new OB and Mm -hmm. maybe he wasn't aware of the procedures to handle third and fourth degree tears at the hospital um, because what was supposed to happen was he was supposed to call in 
one of the senior OBs to um, check me out and repair me. Like he wasn't supposed mm-hmm. to repair me himself. And right. he went ahead and did it anyways. And there was a nurse who was there who has been there for many years and she didn't say anything about it. And um, talking to this other physician, I know they had mentioned that it was probably because, you know, that like nurse physician relationship where maybe the nurse didn't feel comfortable, you know, Mm -hmm. suggesting that we call in a senior OB or that's the protocol that we follow. Um, Right. And so that didn't happen. And as soon as I found that out, I was really, really upset. Um, I'd -hmm. been really upset before, but that just made me really angry. And that was when I decided that I needed to, you know, I needed to call the childbirthing manager and we need to sit down and talk about this um, because that shouldn't have happened. And I shouldn't have been up walking around the next day as much as I was. Um, And I just don't think they really have any idea how to treat third and fourth degree tears. Mm -hmm. Um, And so they also, and we did a childbirthing class through the hospital and I don't know if I'd mentioned this in the other podcast, but we, when we were talking about tearing during childbirth, um, the RN who was teaching the class, she went briefly over first and second degree tears. And then she said, you know, we're not going to talk about third and fourth degree tears because they're rare. Like they're probably not going to happen to you. So we're not Mm going to discuss those. But then we had a full class about C-sections and everything. Mm. Um, And so what I've been doing is we're just starting this, um, you know, talking process and trying to change some of the stuff and kind of change procedures and make sure that the staff is educated about these third and fourth degree tears. Um, And so within the class, you know, you can't just skip over talking about severe tearing, like just because Mm -hmm. it's a vaginal birth and people, I guess, think that because it's a vaginal birth, nothing bad's going to happen versus Mm -hmm. we should be talking about a C-section because that's what, that's a major intervention and women don't want to have a C-section but there's all these other things that could happen, potentially happen with a vaginal birth as well. And I think you need to be going into your birth as fully educated as you possibly can. Right. Because I was, I had my fourth degree tear. I didn't even know that I had had a fourth degree tear until like the next day, maybe. Um, and when I was getting repaired, I heard my doctor say fourth, like he just said fourth. And so I assumed it was a fourth degree tear and I'd asked my doula if I had, if I had torn badly and she said, yes, but no one actually like sat down to tell me you have a fourth degree tear. This is the most severe tear X, Y, Z. I was sitting in the hospital bed Googling what a fourth degree tear was. Um, Mm -hmm. and just, I had no idea and I wasn't educated about that. And so that's something that I'm really pushing for at the hospital is just you need to like make a packet or I don't know something like you need to educate. Yeah. They don't happen all the time, but when they, they happen and when they do happen, you need to be able to sit down and talk to the mom who just Mm -hmm. went through this like traumatic event. Um, and make sure that you know that, 
you know, don't be pushing women with these severe tears to be up and walking around all the time. Like you need, you know, you need that rest and I understand why they want you walking around, but it needs to be a little bit different with Mm -hmm. a severe tear. Um, so I'm really pushing for that more, more education. And then also making sure that every time there's a third or fourth degree tear that protocols are actually followed and, um, pushing for them to consider even, you know, transferring them to the larger regional hospital that's 30 mm-hmm. minutes away from us where they have yeah. urogynecology services and the abilities to actually take you in and do a proper repair there. Yeah. That um, would be amazing. <laughs> yeah. Because I just, yeah. I mean, this, the, we're, we're also losing a lot of our senior OB staff. Um, and so mm-hmm. we have, like we're losing all of them. Um, we're in kind of a rural area. So, I mean, they're, they've been here for a really long time and they're all retiring and we're getting all these new people in. So it's mm-hmm. making me really, really nervous for yeah. what could possibly happen to some woman who decided to give birth here. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's, I'm hoping that with the timing of me talking to the, um, the childbirth manager and the quality manager that with these new staff coming on that it's just a good time for this all to be happening um so they're educated and they were you know really happy that the birth the child birthing center manager was really happy that I had reached out and she was because she was there when it was all happening and I kind of know her on a personal level um Mm -hmm. and she just I think they had just, they agree that there needs to be more happening. So I'm happy that we're not like pushing back on this. Um, right. Yeah. So that's just a little bit of what's happening right now. And I hope that I can make a change so that someone doesn't have to go through this again. Right. Yeah. And that is, I mean, the fact that you are only what, six months postpartum. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's pretty awesome that you are even able to get into that kind of, you know, mental state to want to do, you know, I mean, basically advocacy um, work. Because, I mean, so many of us, you know, after we go through something like this, I mean, you're traumatized both physically and emotionally. Um, So by the time you finally get over that trauma, um, it could be years later. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and so that's really cool that you're able to do all of this yeah. um, and... while it's still fresh too. Like mm-hmm. in, in you're still able to go to the same place, um, you know, to do work there so that it doesn't happen again. That's just really awesome. Yeah. And I think it's kind of been like, I think it's going to help me heal a little bit. And mm-hmm. I've been going to, I think last time we we spoke, I had started seeing a therapist that Mm -hmm. I didn't really like, but it was one of the only options I had at the time because I was feeling so like I needed to go to therapy right now. Um, and I started seeing a new therapist too, um, who's fantastic. And so she's been helping me a lot. And, um, she, you know, the more you talk about it, it's mm-hmm. kind of like that exposure mm-hmm. thing. Like the more you talk about it, right. the less anxiety you might end up having about it. Um, right. So I really hope that 
doing this advocacy work and working with the hospital will help all of that too. And just, right. yeah. So, but it's, it has, it has not been easy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can understand that. For yeah. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. And then hopefully, um, I don't know if you saw, we're going to have like an awareness week. Um, yes. In September. Yeah. Maybe I you did. could even somehow factor that into mm-hmm. what you're doing too. That's yeah. That really would be cool. That's a really good idea. Yeah. I'll, def- I'll talk to them about that because that'd be great. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Yeah, of course. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of Mothers with Fourth Degree Tears podcast. If you have any comments or questions, or if you would be interested in being a guest on our show, please email me at motherswithfourthdegreetears at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and hope to talk to you again soon.